The Powers on Sports podcast is brought to you by TicketSmarter.com, Titan Home Lending, Print and Marketing Solutions, and our real estate agent in the state of Florida, Star Alvarado. Enjoy the podcast. Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. Okay. It is good. 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 To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The two one. Swan lane drive left there. Wide out and in. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. All right, welcome in Powers on Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Jason, down here in Tampa, Florida. Appreciate you finding us on your favorite podcast platform. If you haven't already done so, hit that subscribe button on your uh, podcast uh, platform and you will get the Powers on Sports Podcast delivered to your your device or your laptop every single week. Love, definitely love to have you on board as part of the team here as we move forward through the end of uh, October into November. So got a, we're in the back half of the college football season. We're getting to the kind of the midpoint, the, the second third of the, of the NFL season. Got the NBA starting next week. We got the hockey season is underway. We got the league championship series in full, full swing now. And so we got a lot of stuff going on on the sports calendar. We really appreciate you finding us, and uh, we're going to give you some good news and nuggets on all the different facets. We even have a new WNBA champion, the Las Vegas Aces, defend their title. Shout out to my guy T.C. Martin, who is the play-by-play voice of the Aces out in Las Vegas as well. You can T.C. as is. Nicknamed the mayor of Las Vegas. Got a lot of uh, big big personality out in Las Vegas. So congratulations to TC and the Las Vegas Aces for defending their uh, WNBA title, beating the Liberty in four games in a uh, thrilling game four on Wednesday night. So I uh, got a lot of stuff to talk about this week on the podcast. We got a, uh, Matt Zemick from USA Today's Trojan Wire is going to join us. Going to talk uh, a lot of things in the college football world coaching decisions. We're going to look back at the Oregon-Washington Classic last week, the Pac-12, the impact of Brock Bowers' injury at Georgia, and we're going to preview the couple of big games this weekend uh, in the college football world, Alabama-Tennessee and Penn State-Ohio State. So we're going to have a good chat with Matt uh, here in just a few minutes. But before we get to Matt, remember you can find the podcast interviews, all of our video interviews on the Jason Powers Sports Channel on YouTube. You can also give us some feedback if you have any feedback at on X at JPO Sports. That's JPO Sports. Love to hear from you if you have any uh, uh, con- content you'd like us to explore a little bit and all that good stuff. Also, remember I host the Florida Football Insiders podcast. So if you are a fan of the of college football in the state of Florida, the Gators, Seminoles, having a great year, uh, USF, Central Florida, Miami. All the all we cover all the teams FIU FAU USF. If you're in, in, into into those uh, topics, 
check out the Florida Football Insiders podcast. And if you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneers football fan, I also host the No Quarter Given podcast, which is an all Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast after their 20-6 loss last week to the Detroit Lions. So uh, love to have you listen to those podcasts as well. All right, let's get started. Let's do a little uh, couple tributes. Lost a uh, a famous person this week, Suzanne Summers from her Three's Company fame, Thighmaster fame. She passed away at 76 this week. So shout out to Suzanne Summers. She was a uh, sex symbol in the 70s and, and 80s. Obviously, if you watched any, if you were a Three's Company fan, I, I watched that show a good bit growing up. Jack Tripper and Mr. Roper and Mr. Furley and all those guys. That was a pretty uh, funny little comedic show on ABC, but Three's Company, that was her uh, kind of her coming out party, and she did a lot of good things uh, throughout her career, but uh, that was kind of the thing that everybody noticed, Remember, remembers Suzanne Summers for, as well as the Thighmaster, so shout out to Suzanne Summers for passing away, uh, she lived a pretty full life, so uh, good for her and all that good stuff. All right, let's uh, let's start in the uh, in the, on the in the baseball circuit NLCS ALCS. We are in the heart of the league championship series. We got the the Phillies are up two nothing going to Arizona as of this. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday. Uh, they will game three will be Thursday night out in the desert, and uh, Philadelphia has just been dominating with the with the long ball. I think they've hit fifteen home runs in the last four games, which is a uh, playoff record. They're on fire. Schwarber, Trey Turner, Bryce Harper. The pitching's been good with Wheeler and Nola. Um, I think it's going to be this is going to be a very tough train to derail if you're the Arizona Diamondbacks. Down two nothing. The next three games are in Arizona. They're, remember they're doing a two three two format. So uh, I would say if Arizona had any chance in this series, they would have to win all three games in Arizona because I don't think they're winning two games back in Philadelphia. Uh, I expect Philadelphia to win this series. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say in five games. I think Philadelphia is gonna to go to the World Series in five games, and that ballpark is just electric. Uh, uh, I think it's Citizens Bank in Philadelphia. Uh, the place is just a, 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 a is on fire when the, when the Phillies are playing these playoff games. Um, it's it's a tremendous atmosphere. Give a shout out to my girl Philly Melanie uh, up in Philadelphia. Haven't seen her in a while, but we give it, give Philly Melanie a little shout out here on the podcast. But uh, if you've ever, I've, I've actually been to that ballpark once before. Once uh, it's been probably fifteen years, but it was a, uh, a pretty cool, pretty cool ballpark. If you've never been to, uh, to the ballpark, so I have been to Citizens Bank once, and it was a awesome, fun time. So, uh, but Philadelphia looks like they're in control in the NLCS now. The ALCS a little different. It's two games to one, Texas. Um, Texas went to Houston and won the first two games and Houston wins game three on Wednesday night, eight to five. They rough up Max Scherzer who hadn't pitched in a month, but he came back and pitched game three. So nice job by Christian Javier in the, in the offense. They win eight to five. This is going to be a series. I think this series is going to go back to Houston. Uh, it'll be three to somebody, but, uh, Houston is a very, very, very talented team, experienced team with all the pedigree of Altuve and Bregman and Jordan Alvarez and Brantley. Uh, Brantley made a great catch last night to keep that game uh, under under wraps to keep the lead for Houston late in that game. 
several long balls. Be interesting to see how the pitch, the pitching for Texas holds up, especially now we're getting into the game. We're getting, as we're, again, game four will be today. How will the game four in the bullpen hold up? Chapman's been been very shaky as far as a setup guy. Their closure's been really good, but getting to the closer, uh, Leclerc has been a challenge, and and they've gotten there, but. Uh, getting to the closer and also how how will they handle the game four pitching for the Texas Rangers this game four to me is pivotal I think the, if Houston can get back even to 2-2 two, two, I I would like their chances to win this series um I do think that, that somehow some way the series will get back to Houston for a game six and uh potentially a game seven but uh this should be a really good series first time the Houston teams have ever faced each other in the playoffs Obviously, you have Bochi and Dusty Baker, two non-analytics guys, which I like. Um, give Dusty credit. He's letting his pitcher stay in the game a little longer. Same with Bochi. You saw Evaldi get out of a bases-loaded jam when a lot of pitch, a lot of teams' managers would have taken that guy out. Um, he, uh, Dusty Baker let Javier pitch into the seventh inning last night, so that was good. So I like that. So you got two old-school managers managing old-school baseball. Um in this wave of new school disastrous uh, analytics decision that these managers made. You've had the the terrible decision by uh, the Toronto uh, manager early on, taking out Barrios early in the wild card game after three innings. You had some other, you know, boneheaded pitching changes when guys are, are, are rolling along. These managers have got to understand it's, uh, you know, everything's not off the spreadsheet. And so I give give Bochy and, and Dusty Baker credit. They're, they're they are managing the game of what they see, and that's what you're supposed to do. That's that's what make that's what makes great managers, not what the paper says um, all the time. Now sometimes, yep, I get it, but you can't. You got to go by what your eyes see way more often than what your what the piece of paper says uh, being delivered by the uh, the little kid on the riding the riding the tricycle. So. Uh, hopefully, well, again, hopefully we, we've not had a classic game at the one the the one down part of the baseball playoffs so far. We've not had a classic extra innings, massive comeback kind of game. That's hopefully we'll get to see that. Uh, we've not had much drama as far as late inning drama and that kind of stuff. But hopefully we'll get to see some of that as we move through the uh, especially the ALCS. I think the NLCS is just a matter of how many games it's going to be for Philadelphia. I think the ALCS can have some juice here this weekend. Um, if Houston can uh, get get back even, so or get get the series back to Houston, so I do hope there there'll be some drama in the ALCS. So there's your baseball update. We will uh, next week we'll preview the World Series. We'll get our guy Chris Perez back on next week to give you a, a World Series preview. Former Major League closer, two time uh, All Star with the Indians, and uh, so we'll have Chris on next week and give you a little World Series preview. So all right, let's go to the uh, NFL. We're going into week seven. Uh, you had the two upsets last week. You had Cleveland uh, beating Philadelphia or San Francisco, excuse me. Then you had Philadelphia losing at the Jets. Two kind of upsets with you know obviously Zach Zach Wilson playing for the for the Jets. Jalen Hurts was terrible in that game. Threw three bad interceptions. The play calling was horrific at the end by Sirianni. Third and eight with at the two minute warning. You have to run the ball there or keep the ball in bounds to make sure that clock runs to where Zach Wilson has to drive 65 yards to kick a field goal to beat you. Just terrible play calling. He throws the interception at the two-minute warning. Uh, first play after the two-minute warning that leads to the Jets' uh, go-ahead touchdown. Terrible, terrible game management there by Sirianni. Um, threw the ball way too much in that game. Um, 
did not rely on their running game at all. They, you know, they got a great running game with Swift and that offensive line and, and Jalen Hurts running the ball. Very, very poor job there by Sirianni. And in the San Francisco game, uh, obviously Purdy got him into position to kick the field goal. And you, if you're, you got to make a field, you got to make a 41 yard field goal. Uh, Moody, I don't love Moody. He's a rookie kicker to me. That could be an issue for the Niners moving forward. Is 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 a rookie kicker in a big moment. I don't love that. Um, but um, you know, and I, a lot of missed kicks over the weekend. You saw the missed kick by Moody. You saw the missed kick by the Oregon kicker. Uh, a lot of missed kicks at, at critical moments. And, and just you know, from 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 my from my experiences, these guys' fundamentals are not very good. The biggest thing I see on these kicks. A lot of bad footwork leads to these misses. Uh, the, the footwork of the plant foot when you're planting is critical. And when your footwork is bad, you're not going to kick the ball very straight. And you're not going to have a lot of control over the ball. And that's the thing I see a lot of on these missed kicks because you get great camera angles on the kicks. Um, and the footwork is not very good on a lot of these kicks. So um, I am available for hire, by the way. Um, I'm amazed that some of these teams don't have more of these teams don't have kicking consultants, things like that, because these are easily fixable things. And in these big moments, you have big, big miss kicks. And that's the one thing I do worry about with the Niners when they do get into a close game is can, can the kicker make a big kick? He missed it. He missed an earlier kick earlier in the game. Um, another, he missed two kicks in the game. So, uh, you saw a missed couple miss kicks by the Buffalo kicker on Sunday night. And by the way, Sean McDermott, you're up 14 to 9, 13 to 9 with four minutes left in the game. You don't kick an extra point to go up 14 to 9. You go for two points to make it 15 because a five point differential does you no good. When the Giants would have scored that touchdown in the last play of the game and you'd have lost 15 to 14, you would have been a massive goat. When you're up four points late in the game on a touchdown, you go for two to get it to six. In the event there's a missed extra point, a blocked extra point, you don't kick the extra point to go to five. That is worthless. So down on Sean McDermott there. Just again, another another instance of poor game management there in the moment. You kick. You don't kick the extra point to go up five. You kick. You go for two to go up six. Lousy, lousy coaching there by Sean McDermott. He got away with it. You had the hold on the last play of the game on Waller in the end zone. Should have been a penalty. The Giants should have gotten another play. And obviously the Giants botched the end of the half, two-minute uh, I mean, goal, goal line situation at the end of the first half, and they didn't handle the uh, end of the game real well either. But, um, again, poor coaching. And then you obviously from a from a uh, decision stake, you had – you have Staley continues to go for it for the for the Chargers, and then you have Dan Lanning with the with the with the fourth down decisions not to kick the field goal at the end of the Washington game, which we're going to talk about with Matt Zemick here in just a couple of minutes. But these coaches and these fourth downs are just are getting out of control, and it's reckless. And that and you wonder why teams are losing games, and you're and you're 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 going to blow a chance for a national championship potential playoff run with Oregon potentially. Mario Cristobal, obviously, with his disastrous uh, not not kneeling the ball down, cost the Hurricanes a couple weeks ago. Uh, but again, these uh, game management is so important as the head coach. You don't have to get every single one of them right, but you have to get the ones involving points right. Um, and just I'm just I'm just amazed at how some of these guys continue to to botch that. So. Um, 
NFL docket this week. Not a great docket. You got a couple of good games. You got Baltimore and Detroit. You got Miami and Philadelphia on Sunday night, which that could be a good game. Um, again, Detroit. This team's for real. They were just down here in Tampa. Uh, they beat the Buccaneers last week. They did not dominate the Buccaneers. They beat them, but um, they're for real. And they've got a they've got a schedule that could be very forgiving. They could easily win 13 games with that schedule they have. They still got games in the NFC North, which is not a very good division. They've got uh, they've still got games in the NFC South where they're going to play. Um, you know it. Atlanta, they're going to play New Orleans, Carolina. So they've they've got a lot of winnable games here coming up. Detroit could very well be your one or two seed in the NFC. No doubt about it. Philadelphia has a rough schedule the next seven weeks. They play some heavyweights the next seven weeks. Cowboys twice, Buffalo, Miami, um, San Francisco. So they've got a they've got a treacherous next six seven weeks of of games. Um, if they can get through that stretch, then they got a pretty doable uh, back half of the schedule as well. So the NFC will be a little more interesting than people think. Uh, I think the Buccaneers are still the favorite in the NFC NFC South, um, and the AFC is wide open. You got a lot of teams at 500. You got a lot of teams jumbled up in the AFC. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And as far as the uh, Aaron Rodgers, you know, you saw the the shots of him throwing the ball on the, on the field without crutches and all that. Great. I'm glad he's throwing the ball. There's still no there's still very, very long way away from there being opportunities for him to play. Um, I would have a very, very hard time believing he's gonna come back and play this year because you still have to be able to drop back, you still have to be able to pivot, you still have to be able to, to move, and there's been no indication that he can do he'll be able to do any of that stuff with an Achilles injury. Uh, when you blow your Achilles like he did, that's normally a minimum of a five or six month injury. At the absolute minimum, not not taking into account that the guy's forty years old, uh, but we will see what uh, if Aaron Rodgers is potentially a uh, coming back from there. So, last college football note that I'm going to give you my three picks for the week. Um, how about the collapse of Colorado last Friday night against Stanford, up twenty nine nothing at home, and you lose? How's it? How's it? How's it? How's it doing out there in Colorado, there, Dion? Um, I want Dion to be successful, but again, I want him to be also hum- a little bit of humble too. And I know he ripped his team after the game, but that's just that's inexcusable to, to blow a twenty-nine nothing lead. And if the reports are correct that uh, people from Shadur Sanders' team were putting stuff out at halftime on Instagram and all that stuff, that ought to be something that Dion ought to address publicly with 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 uh, with the media and and publicly scold his uh, his his own son for doing that kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff that gets you that gets the fan base and that gets the the national media turned up against you. And again, I am not hearing all the people uh I'm not I don't see Fox and we're not doing uh game big big Saturday big noon Saturday from from Boulder anytime soon. So, nice story at Colorado, but now let's have some substance to it. Let's build a program if you're Dion. Let's try to have some, you know, instill some uh some some good qualities and let's get rid of the nonsense and let's go win some football games, okay? Because that's that's not that's not acceptable to blow a twenty nine nothing lead. I don't care who you're playing. And good for Stanford. Stanford was has been struggling the last couple of years. That's a great win for them uh, and a great great uh, program kind of win for a team like Stanford that needs it. So, um, but yeah, Stanford comes back from twenty nine nothing down on the road. I just happened to flip at that game when I got home from my high school game last Friday night, and I watched most of the fourth quarter in overtime. It was just a great game, so great finish. Um, and a terrible interception by uh, 
Shador Sanders. And one more college football note. The reports coming out about Caleb Williams making all these demands and all these, you know, I want owner part ownership of a team who drafts me. Can we somebody tell this guy to shut the hell up? Caleb Williams, you've done nothing. And to be honest with you, Caleb, I watching you play, I know you're a good prospect, but I don't I you know, you played horrifically at uh, South Bend Saturday night Notre Dame. Um three bad interceptions. How about how about throw, how about completing some passes from the pocket? How about not trying to run around every single play to complete a pass? Okay, every single play doesn't require you to have to scramble and act like you're uh, 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 Fran Tarkenden. How about dropping back and completing the pad? That's what I want to see you do. I don't see you do that a whole lot. It's time for you to start showing. I know you're going to get drafted high, and I get it, but I'm not convinced that you're an you're you're an elite elite NFL player by any means. You're going to get drafted high because your name, but you're not winning the Heisman Trophy this year. Michael Penix is going to be in the in the leader in the clubhouse as of October the twentieth, but. Uh, just shut your mouth, Caleb, and go play and go be the number one pick. Make all the money you can make. I get it, but keep your mouth shut. No, st- stop saying nonsense. You've got some bad people in your group giving you some bad information. Uh, I'll just say reference Ja Morant. Ja Morant. How about how about going and being a player? You want to be a face of the franchise. You want to be a franchise quarterback. Go 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 work hard. Go be a player. Not a talker, not a not a social media person. Go go crazy on that. Go be a football player. Go be the best football player you can be. Because the more you talk, the more I don't think you're you're going to be that good of a football player on the field. And you need to tell whoever's giving you this advice about ownership and all that. They're giving you a lot of bad advice. So be quiet. Go play. You're going to be the number one pick. Go be the number one pick and go make a franchise good. How about that? All right. Last thing we'll get out of here, my three picks for the week before we get to Matt Zemek. I'm going to give you two NFL picks and a college pick. Let's go to the NFL. I like Philadelphia Sunday night minus the two. I think you're going to see against Miami. I think you're going to see a bounce back from Philly. I think you're going to see a conscious effort to run the ball a little bit. I still, I think, which is going to allow Miami to keep Miami off the field. I still don't believe in the Miami defense fully. They're getting a little bit better. But again, you have, again, I think that that crowd in Philadelphia, the weather could be an issue up in Philadelphia. It could be cold. Uh, but I think uh, I think Philadelphia minus the two on Sunday night is the, is the way I'm going to go. I like the Bucks on Sunday against Atlanta, minus two and a half in Tampa, NFC South. Again, Desmond Ritter has been a, uh, not a very good road quarterback at all. He was a disaster last week at home against Washington. I think the Buccaneers played better than the score indicated against Detroit. Uh, they had some golden opportunities to make some big plays and score. Uh, last week against Detroit, Mayfield just missed a couple of the deep couple deep balls, which you can't miss. That's the one thing at Baker Mayfield. If you want to be a starting quarterback for the Buccaneers moving forward after this year, you can't miss out of three or four deep balls. You can't miss all four of them. You got to hit 50% of them. On the on the early interception, which led to a Detroit uh, field goal, um, Mike Evans is wide open for a 90-yard touchdown. You get the ball deflected. You miss Trey Palmer on a on a 45-yard go route twice you can't miss these balls that's this is what good quarterbacks don't do they don't miss the guys that are wide open on the deep balls you got to hit the deep ball so that game was much closer than the 20 to 6 score in my opinion uh but detroit is a good team but i do like tampa bay to bounce back minus a two and a half at home against atlanta 
And then the third game, I'm going to go to the college ranks. I'm going to the SEC. I'm going to take Tennessee plus nine, nine and a half at Alabama. I think this will be a very competitive game, rivalry game. I think Tennessee's not played great yet on offense. Joe Milton's got to play better. But if Joe Milton will play good, he doesn't have to be fantastic. I think Tennessee plus the nine is going to be enough. I think it'll be a close game. I think this is a one-score game either way. I could see Tennessee winning the game. You know, you still hear the struggles of Jalen Milrow. He's a good deep ball throw, but the intermediate stuff and the, and the those things are still a work in progress. Alabama's got a good defense, but I think Tennessee can hang in there, and I would t- I will take Tennessee in the nine nine and a half points. If it's nine and a half, I would definitely buy it to ten. Um, but I will take Tennessee plus the nine nine and a half. Tampa Bay minus two and a half, and give me Philadelphia on Sunday night minus the two. So there are your three picks. Matt Zemick, USA Today, Trojan Wire, coming up right after this. And now a word from Titan Home Lending. Are you in the market to purchase your first-time home, relocate to the state of Florida, or just purchase that second home or investment property? Well, if so, Titan Home Lending can help you get financing for that new home purchase. Reach out to Jason Powers, 205-790-1404, and I can help you get pre-approved in less than one day. A pre-approval is critical in order to make that offer on your home. You want to know how much of a home you can make an offer on, and getting a pre-approval will allow you to do that. From an FHA, VA, conventional loan, jumbo loan, bank statement loans, There are numerous loan options out there to help you get into your house of your dreams. You can also renovate. You can do a renovation loan, which will allow you to make home improvements and finance the costs into the loan. So reach out to Titan Home Lending anywhere in the state of Florida for your next home purchase. 205-790-1404. Well, the fall football season and fall sports calendar is finally here, and there's no better place to buy your tickets, whether it's for the NFL, college football, Major League Baseball, or any sporting event in between in the the fall months of August through December, then TicketSmarter.com. TicketSmarter is your secondary marketplace to go for all of your sports ticket needs, whether it's... NHL coming up, Major League Baseball, college football, your favorite NFL team, whatever it is, TicketSmarter.com is the place to go. And for your first-time purchase, you will get $10 off your first $100 order. All you have to do is use the code POWERS10. Again, go to TicketSmarter.com and use the code POWERS10 to enjoy $10 off your first order of $100 or more. That's TicketSmarter.com for all of your Ticket needs this fall. All right, welcome back. Powers on Sports Podcast. Our guest this week, Matt Zemek, USA Today Trojan Wire editor, covers all things USC as well as the Pac-12, college football nationwide, has a wide array of expertise in the world of uh, college football. So we are going to hit with hit it with Matt here as we enter the second half of the year. Had a big week in the Pac-12 last week, a a, a classic up in Seattle, Oregon, and Washington, 39-36, I believe, was the final there. You had USC getting pounded up in South Bend. I I think some people saw, maybe didn't see the beating coming, but they saw USC on the verge of losing. So we'll get Matt's thoughts on USC up in South Bend. But welcome into the podcast, Matt. 
Always great to be on, Jason. All right, before we get to the football, I got to ask you about the hype and the the hysteria of your Diamondbacks in Phoenix. Game two of the NLCS going on tonight. What is what has been the the the, uh, the outcry and the in the excitement level in Phoenix with the Diamondbacks coming out of nowhere to get to the AL the NLCS? Well, you know, you know that the Suns and Lakers have a very old treasured rivalry in this town in Phoenix. You know, in Boston and Philadelphia, they champ beat L.A. Well, they do that in Phoenix as well. So to sweep the Dodgers, just absolutely thrash them, like that <laughs> that makes every resident of Phoenix feel really good. So really, you know, just kicking the Dodgers butt up and down the field, uh, that that's a season maker for this team. And let's remember this about the Diamondbacks. They lost 19 of 24 in uh, late July, early August. I mean, that ship was sinking. It's one of the, like, Imagine uh, how, how many playoff teams in human history, you know, in the long history of baseball, you know, the World Series goes back to uh, 1903. How many playoff teams, uh, uh, you know, lost 19 of 24, were 16 over 500 at one point in the season, then fell underneath 500, then came back over 500? and made the playoffs and then won a playoff series and swept uh, well they swept two playoff series they swept the brewers before they uh, swept the dodgers so like this is a one-of-a-kind journey like how many teams can you say did all the things that the diamondbacks did for better or worse and you know they won 84 games so they're trying to replicate the 2006 st louis cardinals who won it all with 83 wins uh, but of course, as I speak, you know, the Phillies are leading three nothing in game two. But still, the, sweeping the Dodgers is going to make this season a success. And I think it's reasonable to say, like, this franchise is ahead of schedule. They weren't expecting to be right. a playoff team this year. Now, of course, part of the reason that they are a playoff team is that the Mets and the Padres and the Cardinals. All three had disappointing seasons. Like all three of them needed to be bad in order for the Diamondbacks, also the Marlins, uh, to get in there. But nevertheless, like these young guys got playoff experience and they can carry that in the next year. And if they get some pitching reinforcements, like they need a few more arms in the bullpen. Yep. Um, and they and they need a, another strong starter. If they can get that in the offseason to supplement this exciting young core with Corbin Carroll, like they will have the makings of a team that really, you know, could be like what the Phillies have been. You know, the Phillies aren't going to beat the Braves over 162. We've seen that, but that we've seen that doesn't matter. Just get in as a wild card. And then if you have the dangerous hitting and the high end pitching that the Phillies have, you can go all the way. And so the Diamondbacks could have that same mix. They're not going to beat the Dodgers over 162. But again, don't need to. Just need to be beat them uh, in a best of five. So the Diamondbacks really could be on to something. Well, I'll give you another team that lost seven, that, that, that won seven out of 30 in late July, early August. Has not lost a playoff game yet and is up 2-0 on the Houston Astros. That'd be the Texas Rangers. And so both teams yeah. that are kind of yeah. 
defying expectations, had massive swoons in kind of the mid, you know, the with about 60 games to go. And it's incredible to believe that both those teams are in the, in the league championship series. Absolutely. Yeah. Texas was 24 over 500 and, and I think slipped all the way down to like uh well, when seven and 23 over, over 30 games. Yeah. Yeah. So they, yeah, they were down to like 11 or 10 over 500. Okay. They were two and a half games out of the wild card. Right. Before they swept the blue Jays four straight in mid-September to fi- yep. briefly find their footing. And then they lost four more. They lost three in a row to Cleveland. They lost one to Boston. Right. And then we're able to rescue that sinking ship. Yeah, no, it's crazy. And like, you know, a tangent on this, I mean, you started asking about the Diamondbacks here in Phoenix, but we have to say like 162 doesn't matter right now. Uh, you know, we, we, right. we can oh, we can hope for that, but right now that's not the reality we got to move the division series to best of seven and we got to do, I think a few other things to make 162 mean more one, one idea that I've seen and I really like it in the wild card series. The first two games are a double header, a same day, double header. That's and then I thought of that and actually it, about a week ago. Yep. And if, and if you need that third game, then it's the next day. And then you have to play a game the day after that game one of the division series uh at at the uh higher seat like you need to make it a real obstacle course like you right. need to make it like survivor right you know, no, that's, that's a great point really tough for the lower seed uh i think i i i, I hope major league baseball will uh implement that uh reform in the offseason that's a that's a good i actually did think of that last week when, when everybody was talking about the braves and the dodgers getting swept in the in the in the in the, in uh, baltimore yeah, because because there's only two ways to do it. You either have a one game wild card, or you or you have to shorten the to make it a three game series. You shorten it to maybe two days and make them play that next day with no off day. That's 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 the idea to where you only give the the winning teams about three days off, three to four days off, which is manageable as opposed to having six days off, which makes yes. it more challenging for sure. All right, yes. let's get to the college football world. At our point here, we are about we're in week eight here of the college football season. You know, we had the classic last week up in Seattle, 39-36. You know, um, the second time now we've had a coach who's made a couple of just very, very questionable decisions. Obviously, we had Mario Cristobal with the no kneel down, which ruined Miami's perfect season. And now we have Dan Lanning, who just too aggressive, in my opinion. You have to kick the field goal at the end of the first half, in my in my opinion. The fourth down play in the, in, in the fourth quarter is debatable because if you make the fourth down, the game's over. But if you don't make it, you give Washington the ball to basically the 45-yard line, your own 45. Just give me your overall thoughts of that of the of the game and, and your thoughts on Dan Lanning's decision-making throughout the game. Yeah, so, you know, this is, this is something where, you know, analytics – they're not they're not a bad thing but you can't make them the the holy bible like the analytics says and then like that you like you don't need to think you know you actually need to think you actually need to look at the game in front of you right. you need to look at time and score and you need to actually make a choice based on common sense instead of just pointing to a laminated sheet and say oh the analytics tells me no like the, the an- analytics are meant to help you think the analytics are not meant to take away thought that that is a key thing so my whole stance on analytics is it's a guide but it's not the gospel it's not the bible it's not like the final word on everything 
if you are down by two scores and by kicking a field goal, you can be down by one score. You kick the field goal every time. So I don't, so I don't have a problem with going for the touchdown right before halftime down four, you know, changing it to down one uh, with a field goal. You know, why not try to take the lead? Why not try to get some extra momentum? And I don't have a problem with in the, in the fourth quarter, trying to end the game with the guy you think is your Heisman quarterback, you know, put the game in Bo Nix's hands. And let's remember a year ago in Eugene, Dan Lanning went for him fourth and one against Washington, but Bo Nix was not on the field for that, for that fourth down. I think you and I talked about it right on your, on your podcast because Nix was not on the field. Washington was able to crash down on the run, sell out, and stop it. So, like, if you're not going to have Bo Nix on the field, you need to be punting. So, so that's what. See, like, analytics doesn't tell you that. It's particular details of situations. So, from this game on Saturday, the the fourth down, I have a real problem with. Instead of kicking the field goal, was when he was down 11, 29, 18 in the third quarter. You kick a field goal, you're down one score, eight right. points, 29. 21. If you're down 11 or 10 or nine, the field goal puts you down eight, seven, or six, one score. So a field goal has huge value in the second half of a game. And on the flip side, if you are leading by six or seven or eight, a field goal takes you from being up one score to being up two scores. So the analytics say what what they say, but you, you just need to look at time and score and make a common sense judgment for yourself. And so that's that's the thing with coaches. They need to study these things, but you also have the game in front of you. What's the score? How much value does a field goal give to me? And, and if a field goal gives you a lot of value, then you ignore the analytics. You go with com basic common sense right in front of you. So Lanning seems to be on autopilot. He seems to go for and fourth down every time, no matter what. Uh, in, as a philosophy of high volume, you know, I take enough chances, I'm going to hit on some, and I'm going to get overall increased value. No, you have to look, do it case by case in the situation you have, the team in front of you, the opponent in front of you, th that that is where Dan Lanning falls short. You have to pick your spots. This cannot be an automatic trigger kind of thing. And to me, the one at the end of the first half is three points. There's not going to be another possession in the half. So you, to me, you take the three points and you go from four to one because there's no more possessions in the first half. It's not like there was a minute left in the half and you can burn, you know, if you make it, you, you know, whatever. And, you, and it's from the three or four yard line. It wasn't from the one yard line either. It was fourth and goal from the three or four yard line. That is true. And that matters. Yes. And that does matter. Absolutely. That does definitely matters. matters. Absolutely. And so to me, that was to me, that was the egregious one. When you, and to me, I'm just I like Herb Street and Fowler, but when Herb Street says, Oh, yeah, I, I agree with his aggressiveness, that's the way he coaches. When he never criticizes the guy for not going for it, I cannot stand that in the broadcast. And I know Herb Street wants to kiss up to these coaches and needs access, and I get it. But you have to, if you're Herb Street, you have to criticize some of these fourth down moves. You can't say, well, I love the aggressiveness. Well, you didn't love it when he didn't make it. You don't love it when he didn't make it. You don't say a word at the end of the game when he doesn't make it and he loses by three points. That's Those are things just from a Absolutely. broadcast perspective I can't Absolutely. stand. And, and, it, and you make a great point that, you know, there there is a difference. You know, 
we talk about going for it on fourth down as though it's this generic, you know, umbrella blanket like principle. But yeah, it matters whether it's fourth and three or fourth and inches. It matters whether it's fourth and four or fourth and one. Like that right. should definitely be factored into the equation. Like it's not just fourth down, it's how much and where. Right. Right. And what kind of defense are you going up against? Absolutely. Right. So, all right. So, um, so now again, we've seen now two coaches make some disastrous, you know, end game decisions that have cost them undefeated seasons. Now, again, we'll talk about Utah or Oregon here in a second, but from Washington's perspective, great win for Washington. Obviously, they have USC on the road in a couple of weeks. Um, talk to me about Washington. Are they good enough to run the table? And obviously, we'll get to USC in a second, but. From Washington's perspective, the offense is terrific. Is the defense good enough to be able to hold up the rest of the way in the Pac-12? I think, uh, you know, I think the defense is good enough, but I think that the bigger question just is, can Washington play elite football, you know, the way it plays at home at Husky Stadium, can Washington carry that over to the road? Because Washington almost lost to Arizona, won by only seven in Tucson, can Washington play a really strong game away from home? And so looking ahead on the schedule, Jason, there's the USC row game. There's also a row game at Oregon State yes. in Corvallis. So can Washington solve those two tests? Now, the way USC is playing certainly looks like Washington's going to beat USC in Los Angeles. I mean, like, like USC has talent, but, you know, USC has been, been bad. USC has yeah. been a bad team over the past month except yep. for the first half against Colorado. USC's not playing well at all. If the Trojans, you know, don't shape up, like Washington should mow them down. But then uh, Oregon State, like Oregon State's defense was so good last year. That defense has really dropped off this year. You know, Washington State's been uh, obliterated the last two weeks, but Washington State had no problem scoring against Oregon State. And Oregon State made UCLA's uh, struggling offense look good for portions of that game. Now, caveat, Oregon State got a big lead and was playing prevent defense for a good portion of the second half. So it's not as though the, the Oregon State defense collapsed. But nevertheless, UCLA's offense did look comparatively better than it had in, in previous weeks. But Oregon State has to play a lot better on defense to stop Michael Penix uh, when the Huskies go up to Corvallis. But right now, if you ask me, I think Washington's going unbeaten. I, I really do. And yeah. uh, like this, this does not historically happen in the Pac-12. I know that usually teams step on a rake when they're on the verge of making the playoff, but I really like the way this is all uh, lining up for Washington. I think, I think the biggest challenge for Washington ultimately would be a rematch with Oregon and Las Vegas in the Pac-12 championship game. That would be the toughest game left. And, Ari and that Arizona win is looking better and better as well as Arizona's plan. It so. Is. I mean, that gets, so that's actually looking to be a good, a very good road win compared. Does the Pac-12 want a one-loss Washington and a one-loss Oregon, or do they want an undefeated Washington and a one-loss Oregon, in theory, in the title game? Oh, un, unbeaten Washington and uh, and one-loss Oregon. Uh, because, uh, you know, Washington and, and Oregon, you want them to both take care of business against USC. And yeah. uh, then have that rematch uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, and, and it would, you know, because like if Washington can beat Oregon twice, like that would be amazing, you know, to to beat a rival, a formidable rival twice. But but then if, you know, Oregon barely lost on the road 
to Washington. So then if you play again on a neutral field, right, you know, it will feel like, you know, Oregon had a, earned a second chance uh, at the Huskies. And if they do beat them in the rematch on a neutral field, I don't think any people will say that, you know, the Ducks were lucky or that Washington right. uh, got a raw deal. So I, I, I would go for Washington unbeaten and Oregon with one loss. Let's go to your beat USC. I mean, just a disastrous performance up in South Bend. Um, thoroughly beaten, you know, turnovers galore. By, by, I almost get the sense that I hate to say this that Lincoln Riley's offense is getting figured out by good by good defenses. I mean, they just it's almost like it's sandlot football. With I, one thing I don't ever see Caleb Williams doing, I don't see Caleb Williams taking a three or five step drop and bam, back foot throws the ball. It's always a scramble. It's always running around. There doesn't seem to be much fluidity. I don't from what I've seen. Tell me if I'm wrong. There doesn't seem a whole lot of fluidity in that in that USC offense. Yeah, so it uh, to me it starts with the offensive line. Like you had a really really strong offensive line at USC last year, and let's let's look at the personnel that USC doesn't have this year. Andrew Voorhees, Brett Neilan, Bobby Haskins. Now now Voorhees and Neilan they were holdovers from the Clay Helton era. They stuck around. Haskins was a transfer pickup. Uh, from Virginia, but all three of those guys were excellent for last year's USC offensive line. You take them out of the equation. This offensive line is playing a lot worse. I mean, this offensive line has struggled in three of its last four games, the one exception being Colorado, but this offensive line has struggled uh, at Arizona State, against Arizona, and at Notre Dame, and like they were just, they just got punched in the mouth by Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame physically overwhelmed uh, this USC offensive line, Caleb Williams got skittish. And, uh, you know, USC fans also, USC fans have been wanting Lincoln Riley to run the ball more, especially on first and 10. He did that several times on Saturday. Like he did what right. a lot of USC fans wanted, but couldn't do anything behind that offensive line. So the bottom line is, Jason, is it a ta USC is it talent? Is it talent or is it, is it, or is it scheme? Uh, I think it's coaching. Uh, USC I'm saying. Is Co is it, yeah, right. USC is a soft team. Like that, that is just the bottom line. USC is soft. You know, the defense was soft for most of the season, but this past Saturday, it was the offensive line, which was soft. But like Lincoln Riley probably needs to fire his strength coach, who's not getting it done. And, and in addition to firing Alex Grinch, he needs like the USC strength and conditioning does not seem to be producing tough players you compare that to the way washington and oregon like th there was a lot of hitting that was right. a very physical game it right. felt like a heavyweight battle and you then you compare that to usc and usc is just very soft and also the the team that usc is going to face this saturday utah i mean utah's whole identity is physicality punch you in the mouth we're gonna wear you down we're gonna make you feel our weight our force our velocity and Utah is has what is widely regarded as a very good strength and conditioning program. So to me, that's what's that's what's showing up here. The strength and conditioning. The other part, though, coaches, USC coaches have not made good evaluations with their transfer portal pickups. Like think about all the transfers that USC brought in, not for last year, but for this year. Like Dorian Singer, the transfer from Arizona, the wide receiver, total bust. He can't get open. He yeah. he can't get separation jordan addison on the other hand like he was an, an amazing transfer last year right. he right. totally 
took the top off opposing defenses. He opened up the field for everybody else. Dorian Singer was supposed to be that guy, but he's not. Uh, Anthony Lucas on the defensive line, transfer from Texas A&M. You haven't heard him about him all season. Now, there have been a couple nice transfer pickups. Mason Cobb at linebacker, Jamil Muhammad as pass rusher, edge rusher. They've been good, but most of the transfers for USC this year have not panned out. You know, last year, they had a much better success rate with their incoming transfers. You also think of Travis Dye last year. You know, they really miss him as well. You know, from, from the Oregon Ducks, he was a yeah. huge glue guy for that team. There's no glue guy uh, on this offense. So the USC coaches, they're not getting their players to play tough, but they also aren't making good evaluations in the transfer portal. And that's worth mentioning because, you know, the transfer portal has the ability to instantly improve a roster, but it also means if you don't hit home runs, right. In the portal, you're left with a lot of deficient pieces. And yeah. you, and so if you're relying on the portal and you swing and miss, you're not developing players within your program with your recruitment and your own uh, off-season training regimen. And so you, USC's in real trouble. And the other the other part piece of this puzzle, why USC needs to be concerned long-term is, you know, USC's recruiting has really dried up. USC has not picked up a single 2024 recruit since 4th of July weekend. And, you know, doing other USC shows uh, on various outlets, I said, you know, fans, don't worry. As long as the team wins and you get proof of concept and the USC's playing in the big games late in the season, the, the recruits will come. Well, USC might not be playing in any big games late in the season. I mean, if, if USC loses to Washington – I. On November four, that's pretty much it. Trojans are oh, yeah. be out of the 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 Pac-12 race pretty much because uh, they they probably uh, would then lose to Oregon as well. They sure. go to the Holiday Bowl. They're going to be removed from any New Year's Six. And Caleb Bowl Williams won't be playing in the Holiday Bowl. And he will not be playing in the Holiday Bowl. Absolutely. And and USC is going to drift off the radar screen. And and people are going to say, well, this is a soft program. Lincoln Riley's not coaching well. And recruiting could take a dive, and USC could be in real trouble heading into the Big Ten. It's not what any of us were expecting right. back in August, early September, but that's where we are right now. It's a really, uh, it's a really concerning situation at USC. Last topic, we'll get out of the Pac-12. Heisman Trophy wise, is in your view, is Penix the clear number one at this point? The Tampa kid, my, my guy here from Tampa, Tampa Bay Tech High School here in Tampa, Florida, via Indiana. Is, is he obviously Caleb cannot be? I mean, he he's clearly dropped down to three or four in the in the race. Is Penix, in your view, the clear number one right now? No question. I mean, it's not just that he won a big game on national television, but he made clutch plays yes. late to produce the win. Right? That's that's the real key. Heisman voters are going to look at that. It's going to be really hard to ignore. So it's going to take something special from someone else uh, to really overtake him like that. That is obviously the Heisman moment right. so far this season. So unless or until we see something really special from someone else. Yeah, this is definitely Penix's award uh, to lose at this point. Also, you know, just the fact that Washington beat Oregon, that that dramatically increases the odds that Washington will a first of all, be in the Pac-12 championship game, right. and B will be playing for a playoff berth in that Pac-12 
championship game. And so that will give Penix uh, the stage and the spotlight with which he can then cement the award with a big performance in that Pac-12 championship game. All right, uh, listen to Matt Zemick, uh, editor of USA Today, Trojan Wire. We're talking to Pac-12. We're going to hit some national, a couple of national topics here and uh, got a couple of the big games of the week here, college football. How will the Brock, Brock Bowers injury affect Georgia? To me, that's a that's a huge blow for Georgia. He was the one impact player they had on offense that you had to scheme around. Yeah, so, you know, with, with Georgia, you know, mm-hmm. they, there was that one really good game against Kentucky, but of course, Kentucky doesn't look that great. You know, Kentucky lost to Missouri. Um, yep. And so, you know, I think that Georgia is going to get through the SEC because the SEC is just way down this year. You know, Alabama's down, LSU is down, Jimbo's on the hot seat at AM. I Tennessee. think the game at Knoxville, the game in Knoxville is going to be a test in November. Maybe, maybe. But boy, uh, Jason, did you see that AM Vols game? That was yeah. an ugly game. That was one of the worst played football games you're going to see all year long. Like both teams just yep. tripping over their shoelaces, yep. trying to give the game away to the other. So, like, and you know, like Joe Milton. Million dollar arm, but right. nothing else, nothing else. And also, he's not getting help from his offensive line uh, either. So, I think Georgia makes it through the SEC, but then in the playoff, Georgia's going to go up against dynamic teams. And that's where the, the Brock Bowers' absence is really going to show up. I don't think you're going to see Bowers play again either because of his, his NFL status. I don't think he's going to come back and play unless he's 1,000% healthy. No doubt about it. Maybe the playoff game, maybe, but I don't think you'll see him in the regular season. I agree. And let's all remember Nicobe Dean, right? He was supposed to be this first round pick and he fell all the way to what? 85, something like right. that with the right. Eagles. So, you know, Brock Bowers is aware of Nicobe Dean. You know that he he's yeah. aware of that story. So he is going to protect his health to make sure he doesn't have a that kind of fall on the draft board. Absolutely. Is Oklahoma, obviously the big win over Texas a couple of weeks ago, in your mind, is Oklahoma playoff, playoff caliber? I think so. And this brings up a point about USC. You know, Lincoln Riley, for those who are unaware, in 2017, his first year as Oklahoma head coach, he inherited Bob Stoops' strength and conditioning coach, a guy named Jerry Schmidt. But then Lincoln Riley wanted to bring in his own strength coach for 2018, Benny Wiley, who is the strength coach now at USC. And Oklahoma, you know, it maintained a relatively high standard under Lincoln Riley, but never as good as 2017. Like 2017 was the high point. That was the best of Riley's uh, OU teams. And it got slightly worse the more the program got away from Jerry Schmidt. Guess who's Brent Venable's strength and conditioning coach at Oklahoma? Jerry, Jerry Schmidt. Schmidt. He came back the moment Lincoln Riley left. Yeah. And and that's why Oklahoma has a physical, tough team once again. So, like, and that's why I said earlier that Lincoln Riley needs to fire Benny Wiley, his strength coach, because yeah. Jerry Schmidt is obviously a much, much better strength and conditioning coach than Benny Wiley. And it's making a difference for Oklahoma right now. No, you make you make a great point. Again, you're probably gonna have another you're probably gonna have another matchup of Texas, Oklahoma, kind of like the Oregon, Washington. So it's gonna be interesting to see how the committee, playoff committee, deals with those second matchups, especially if they split and they both win a game. 
and they both have one loss, you know, how that plays in the, in the playoff contention as far as comparing it with the ACC, the SEC, and the Big Ten. So, all right, let's get to the two big matchups of the week and get your thought here, and we'll get you out of here. To me, it's an elimination game in the SEC this week, Alabama-Tennessee. You know, the losers the losers out as far as a playoff berth, in my view. Um, I think this is going to be a more competitive. I think most people think Alabama's better, but I don't think Alabama's that much better than Tennessee right now. Well, your thoughts, Alabama-Tennessee? Yeah, so a lot of the time people will try to ask and, and figure out which team's better. <clears throat> well, to me, there's, there are some occasions when it's a matter of figuring out which team is worse. Right. You know, because sometimes you win. Like, you make the more good plays. You you do more things impressively. But, but there are plenty of sporting events where the outcome is decided not by who makes the great play, but who makes more mistakes. Yep. And that's what we have with these teams. These teams have been struggling all year long. And so it's it's less about which team you trust it's more about which team you should distrust. And I think Tennessee, based on that absolute slot fest against Texas A&M, I think te- Tennessee is the weaker team, the team more likely to make a mistake, the team more likely uh, to uh, crack in a pressure situation. Like, so, like, it's I'm, I'm not impressed by Alabama at all. Right. Like Nick Saban has to. Nick Saban's going to have a new offensive coordinator next year. Like Tom, this Tommy Reese thing has not worked out. I can't imagine Saban putting up with it for more than a year. Um, like it's not going well for Bama, but it's worse for Tennessee. Like the, the, the gap between Joe Milton and Hendon Hooker last year, it's a Grand Canyon size gap. So I think Tennessee's more likely to make the big mistake and Alabama is going to win. Not because Alabama's great. It isn't but Tennessee's going to gonna be worse. Yeah, J- Joe Milton's probably been, to me, the biggest disappointment at quarterback this year in the country because everybody thought he would be able to step right in for Hendon Hooker. A lot of this, you know, obviously they, they lost a lot of offensive guys. I get it, but he's just not been able to just complete the basic stuff. that He's been struggling to complete the basic stuff in the offense that they've got a good running game. The defense has been a little bit better. But in order to beat Alabama, you've got to be able to throw the ball over the top and you got to be able to complete the, the the deeper balls. And he's just really struggled to do that so far. All yeah, right. Joe, Joe, Go ahead. Joe Milton, Go ahead. He had, he, he, Joe Milton reminds me of Jamarcus Russell. Like he is a physical specimen. He is strong. He is fast. But it just doesn't come together within the flow of a game. You know, like like there there's real athletic ability there. Like he looks like an athlete, but it just doesn't happen. And people keep waiting for it to happen, but it doesn't. Yep. All right, let's go to the game of the week. Probably the, you know, there's going to be a three-way matchup here between these three teams here in the next month or so. Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan. You have the first one here this weekend in Columbus. Penn State at Ohio State. You know, you got we, – we, we, most people think these teams are playoff capable. James Franklin has had a disastrous run against top 10 teams, not had a very good record, but everybody thinks that he's got the quarterback this year, Drew Allard, to get it done. Just give me a – again, Penn State has played nobody. They played Delaware. They played UMass. Ohio State, they have played Notre Dame. Give them credit. They, they won a tight, tough game at Notre Dame, so give them credit. But their offense has not been as – High octane as we thought they would be. Give me a thought on both Penn State and Ohio State. Yeah, so you know if you go through recent history with Penn State and Ohio State, this is usually a very competitive game. It's usually close in the fourth quarter. 
So I don't think there's any reason to uh, deviate from that general game pattern uh, this year. Um, you know, Ohio State beat Notre Dame, but of course, let's remember Notre Dame dropped an interception right on Ohio State's last drive. Went right through the hands, should have been picked, uh, and then of course Notre Dame leaves ten men on the field right uh, at the very end. So like Ohio State got bailed out in that game. It wasn't an impressive offensive performance by any stretch, and like. Notre Dame's offense has not gotten better since that game. Right, right. So, like, that wasn't a, an impressive performance from Ohio State by any means. And then Ohio State was in real trouble against Maryland, and Maryland squandered several opportunities to get a bigger lead in the first half uh, of that game. Ohio State's offensive line is the problem because, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr., brilliant receiver. You know, Ohio State has the skill people on the perimeter. But, you know, what's been Ohio State's problem the last two years? You can't get the ball to the skill people if Michigan is punching you in the mouth. Well, I think Penn State, similarly, can really feast on this Ohio State offensive line. I think it's going to be a low-scoring, very ugly game. Uh, and I think I, – I mean, I certainly like Penn State plus the four-and-a-half. Right. Uh, but, I, but I'm going to go one step beyond that, and I think Penn State wins outright in the shoe. I'm with you. I, I think that I think they're going to win the game too, and that that obviously will set up the next part of the trilogy when you got Penn State, and Michigan in Happy Valley in a couple of weeks. So, um, just give me a thought on Michigan. Is Michigan? I mean, obviously they've not played anybody either, just as bad as Penn State's schedule. Give me your thought on Michigan. Well, you know, so Michigan was seemed to be jogging through the first few games of its uh, schedule, but as soon as Michigan got to the Big Ten started putting some thumpings on people, uh, you know, and was sluggish in the first quarter against Indiana, but then, you know, turned it into high gear, won by a billion points. So, you know, Michigan's beating the the inferior Big Ten teams by 30, 35 right. points. So doing exactly what it's supposed to do certainly looks a lot more authoritative than both Ohio State and Penn State to this point in the season. And of course, Michigan gets Ohio State at home. Penn State, I think, is going to be the tougher game for Michigan since, as you said, it's in Happy Valley. But, like, right now, does anyone seriously think Ohio, this Ohio State team is going to win in Ann Arbor? Uh, my, how things have changed in that rivalry. It's going to be very interesting to see how the how this playoff committee, when they start meeting here probably pretty in the next couple of weeks, how they rank these teams initially because there, there is a possibility for a lot of one-loss teams one loss conference championship teams and some, you know, you, you if you're Florida State, you don't want to lose that last game, that ACC title game and have one loss because they might get left out there. And there will be some very interesting uh, deliberations that go on in that CFP uh, committee meetings. When you, I think you're going to have a lot of one loss teams there at the end of the year that somebody could get left out very easily. That's right. I mean, like we're still basically in the midpoint of the season, so it's yeah. hard to game out all the scenarios just yet. But like, yeah, like you, you, you that that is that is a poker chip you want to have. That if you're in the clubhouse with no losses, like there, there, there's no way you can be left excluded. out. As soon as you, as soon as you lose a game, then the committee has a reason to exclude you. All right, Matt Zemmick, great job, man. Great work. USA Today, Trojan Wire. Tell tell all the fans where they can find all your great work online as well as on, on Twitter these days. So trojanswire.usatoday.com. I'm writing about the crisis at USC and the things that Lincoln Riley needs to do and 
Oklahoma fans being correct about Lincoln <laughs> Riley, at least for this season. Um, it's really about uh, you know the, everything that Lincoln Riley has to try to do to get out of this mess and also the problems that are staring him in the face and need some real mature solutions at USC. Uh, on Twitter at Trojans Wire, tweeting during the games. And, uh, and you know, hey, USC basketball just around the corner. I know Bronny James won't be playing the first several weeks of the season, but still, this is one of the most hyped USC basketball seasons in recent memory. So you'll want to follow in November uh, Trojans Wire basketball coverage. And if you remember us, we talked last time about a month ago, and, and Matt told you that Bronny probably would be out till January, and those were kind of the reports that came out. You probably won't see him probably till the beginning of the year, late December, early January, but you will see most likely Bronny James play for USC, which is a great thing to see. So, Matt, keep up the great work, man. We'll talk later as we get closer to the conference championship games and keep doing a great job, and let's get your diamond back to at least a fifth, a fifth game there in Arizona, okay? We'll see about that. All right, buddy. Take care. We'll talk talk soon. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at jposports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues, and we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.